when you find yours, your blessing, your thing, your purpose, make sure you know it too. Because if you don't open your eyes and realize, damn, this thing that I'm kind of sort of good at, that I don't really pay attention to because I take it for granted, that's my thing. I should double down on that and really cherish and, and nurture it. What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 173 of the Spun Today podcast. And in this episode, I share my October, November, December 2020 writing stats and my January 2021 writing stats. It's been a while since I've recorded a free writing session episode, clearly. I also share a writing tip that I picked up along the way, and I tell you a little bit about what I've been reading. I also read and reflect on one of my free writing pieces, which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. And the direct link to the free writing piece that I'll be sharing today will be in the episode notes for your clickable convenience. But first, before we dive into the show, here is one quick way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast if you so choose. For my fellow writers and creatives out there, a really cool way for you to be featured on this show is to respond to my five-question Spun Today questionnaire. I'll read your responses on a future episode of the show and share them with the Spun Today community. Think about it. If your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? To do so, go to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Now my writing stats. I'm going to preface sharing my writing stats by saying and reminding you all that I I have a newborn baby boy in the house, as you all heard from listening to episode 167, Welcome Baby Grayson, who is three months old going on four months, as well as a two-year-old toddler running around. And I say that because I had atrocious, abysmal writing stats for the past few months. And I know, I know, all of you yelling out, stop making excuses, that's resistance, stop being a pussy, sleep less, if that's even possible with a newborn around. (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. I thought that was worth sharing nonetheless, because the stats are abnormally low. Not that I'm some prolific writer or anything like that, but I definitely write on average a fair amount more than is going to be reflected in these past few months. But without further ado, and or gilding the lily, as they say, here we go. October 2020, I wrote six, yes, single digit six, out of the 31 days of the month for a 19.4% writing rate. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, in November 2020, I wrote four out of the 30 days of the month for a 13.3% writing rate. But then I picked myself up by my bootstraps, just a smidge, and I wrote in December of 2020, a whopping five out of the 31 days of the month for a despicable 16.1% writing rate. Now, before that slide in the last quarter of the year, I was on track for having a fairly decent writing average for the, for the year. But with that, It brought my 2020 yearly writing stat percentage at 42.1%. Now, January 2021, fuck, 2020 sucked, right? Global pandemics, divisive politics, Tony's writing stats, Jesus. But in 2021, as things around the house begin to gel a little bit more and we fall into a bit more of a routine and the baby's sleeping a little bit more, I was able to wedge in a few more writing sessions. Still not great, but definitely a step up from the previous three months. And in January 2021, I wrote 13 out of the 31 days of January for a writing percentage of 41.9%. That's me walking the plank and keeping myself honest. Now for this episode's writing tip. It's coming from 
one of my favorite sources that I've used on here before to share writing and related tips with you guys, which is K.M. Wyland's Helping Writers Become Authors. And it's a guest post that she had by Christina K. posted on January 11th, 2021. And it's titled, How to Start, Build, and Grow Your Email List. Now, it's not one of those traditional writing tips that I share, which are more like related to craft and structure, but rather more of the business side, if you will, of writing and definitely for self-publishers related to marketing. One of the best ways for writers and really for any business to optimize their chances for selling their product, in this case books, is to have a direct-to-consumer relationship, to have a client list, if you will, a way that you can directly communicate with potential buyers, customers, readers, without the need to advertise through a Facebook or an Amazon, Instagram, Twitter, etc. BookBub, Amazon ads, Facebook ads, all of which are great. This is just another way to go about that marketing, which is a complement to those things. And again, it's not reliant on an outside source or an outside service. As you all know, I have the Spun Today newsletter, which is my email list. And if you didn't know, you should know. And you should go sign up now. It's completely free. SpunToday.com forward slash subscribe. But yeah, I'm going to share a few excerpts from this post. And as always, we'll link to it in the episode notes. And I definitely recommend you check it out for its full context. So one of the first steps that they go over is establishing what your author email is going to be. You can obviously use like an at Gmail, for example, like I use spuntoday at gmail.com. But if you want to go a little bit more professional, a little bit more polished, which I should eventually graduate up to, you can get the extension that matches your website. For example, my website is spuntoday.com. I can get an email that would be like Tony at spuntoday.com, for example, or, or info at spuntoday.com. And to do so, you would have to, you know, purchase the domain. And the example that I'm using with my website would be spuntoday.com, which is the domain that I own, which I purchased through Squarespace. But you can also use a service like uh, Google Domains or GoDaddy, etc. And then they have a service usually for around $5 per month to get that extension email. And it definitely gives you a bit more of a professional look. Next, you'd have to pick your email hosting service. So in essence, you don't want just a shitload of people just emailing you and saying, you know, add me to your mailing list. And then creating like an Excel spreadsheet or something like that with all email addresses, which I guess you could, but there are services that do this type of thing for you. And you're going to, it'll behoove you to use one of these services, like we'll get into in, in a later tip here. Not just for the collecting of email addresses, but for the maintaining and also the ease of being able to blast everybody at once. And also, once somebody signs up, send them what it is that you're giving them for free automatically. Now, you can use services. They list here a few. The one that I personally use is MailChimp. Shout out to the Serial Podcast, by the way. The first season with uh, the Adnan Syed case, one of the sponsors for the series was MailChimp and they had this like MailChimp commercial over and over again. And I was learning about, you know, the need to have an email list back then. And I was just like, why not? Let me give them a shot. And I did. And I I have absolutely zero complaints. It works flawlessly for me. I use it literally every single week. And it's also free for the first 2000 email addresses that you get, or rather 2000 people that you get to sign up to your mailing list, which is pretty cool. And then after that, they have like, you know, tiered offerings. So yeah, that's the the second step. Pick your email hosting service, then create your lead magnet. Now, this is what I was referring to when I said something that you're going to give folks for free. Now, what you give away for free is completely up to you. And they give some examples here. They say it's usually like a downloadable PDF that you offer folks and give a list of some common freebies that other authors in this case give out in exchange for the person's email address which are the first two chapters of your upcoming release the first two chapters of a backlist book a free entire copy of a backlist book a character interview 
with any of your lead characters, a behind-the-scenes sneak peek into your upcoming releases, etc. So use your imagination. I, for example, went the route of... Well, I kind of combined two different things because I do do a free entire copy of of a backlist book, which folks listening, if you go to sponsorate.com forward slash books, you can get a free digital copy of Fractal or a free digital copy of Make Way For You. Go in there into each of those individual pages, either or drop in your email address and you get that freebie for me in exchange for your email address. And you also automatically get my once weekly newsletter, which I send out every Monday at noon. Now, for folks not interested in the books, I went the route, like uh, I was saying, of Tim Ferriss's newsletter, Five Bullet Friday, which is one of the like most successful newsletters, period, in terms of not just subscribers, but activity and click-through of actual subscribers. And I decided to put out something of what I consider value. Hopefully, my subscribers do as well, and my future subscribers will as well. And I share five things that I'm into. I share a photograph of the week, a podcast of the week, a video of the week, a quote of the week, and a word of the week. And for folks, like I was saying, that aren't interested in the books, they can just subscribe directly for the newsletter at sponsor.com forward slash subscribe. Now, the dope thing about having the hosting service like MailChimp, for example, is that you can set it up so that you create your lead magnet, right? Your PDF or your free book or whatever it is that you're going to give away for free, a video, a clip, whatever it is. And you set it up within MailChimp, which they'll walk you through or whichever other hosting platform you choose to use so that whenever somebody signs up for your newsletter or your email list, for example, going to sponsorate.com forward slash subscribe, dropping in their email address, they'll automatically get an email that's generated from MailChimp in your name, obviously. It comes from quote unquote sponsorate at gmail.com in my case with that freebie attached with that PDF, for example. So if you get a thousand people that sign up within a minute, you don't have to manually send out a thousand emails, for example. It'll all be automated for you. Then a tip that they give here is that, you know, once you have your subscribers, you know, keep them warm, basically. Don't just let them go cold and only email them once a year or once every two years when you've written a new book that you want to send to them or whatever the case is. Decide on a specific schedule of how you're going to email them. And there are tons of different approaches to this. There's like marketing funnels that say, okay, on Monday at this time is the peak time for people to pay attention for this type of content. Then you email them with this type of email and set that up to send out automatically three days after somebody subscribes. And then two days after that, hit them up with a follow-up. And, you know, you can go deep into this, deep into the rabbit hole, but in, from a marketing perspective, but on a basic level, the tip here is, you know, choose what frequency of contacting you're actually going to keep up with. If you want to make your newsletter a once a month thing, a once a week thing, a bi-weekly thing, pick that, do that, you know, similar to a podcast, you know, pick a schedule, stick to it and be consistent. So for example, my newsletter for my subscribers goes out once a week, every Monday at noon. I picked that because initially I had like this kind of branding, quote unquote branding idea to name it the midday Monday boost letter, you know, send it on midday, on Mondays at noon to boost everybody's Monday because Mondays fucking suck, right? So I'll give people a nice photograph to look at, a podcast recommendation, a cool video about something interesting that I found on the internet, etc. And then I later just renamed it the Sponsor Day Newsletter, but still send it out every Monday at noon. And that's my way of, one, providing something of, again, what I consider valuable in, in some way or interesting at the least or a nice pastime or nice to have while having the dual purpose of keeping folks warm so that when I have a book that I come out with, I have a hopefully growing, a growing audience of folks that are hopefully going to be interested in my shit. And I can email them and say, hey, I got this book coming out, at which point I might want to offer it to some subscribers for free in exchange for like reviews, for example, or just for being subscribers. Or I want to give them a discounted price if they pre-order the book. 
etc. You know, you can think of a bunch of different applications at that point. And again, this is not specific for writing. I'm just, you know, coming at this obviously from the writing lens. But if you're a comic, for example, and you want to have a, a list of folks interested in your comedy and for your freebie, you decide to give them a recorded clip of a joke or a montage of clips of your favorite clips from being in clubs that maybe you've self-recorded or something like that. And you give that to them for free when they sign up to your mailing list. And then it's folks that whenever you're, you're on tour doing your thing, you can, you know, send an email blast out and be like, Hey, this weekend I'm going to be at Gotham or whatever, you know, you could do this type of thing as well. If you own a restaurant and have a way for customers to sign up when they go eat or, would have you and let them know about new special menu items that come out or send them coupons for free drinks at brunch and, you know, get them to, to come back or something like that. But yeah, that is the writing related marketing tip that I wanted to share with you folks today. Again, it can be found on Cam Wyland's website, helping writers become authors. And it was a guest post posted by Christine K on January 11th, 2021, and I will link to it in the episode notes. What I've been reading. I've been reading Yuval Nora Harari's book, Sapiens. Now, this was a book that I got sick and tired of being recommended and being referenced to in a bunch of different unrelated podcasts that I listened to, and it seemed to be on like everybody's top 10 books to read or not everybody's but like notably like it was on bill gates you know books you know must read books for you know how they do like top five books or top 10 books that i read this year or whatever like obama does it mark zuckerberg bill gates like a bunch of people do it and it was on actually all three of their recommendations and it just kept popping up within my orbit so much that i decided to give it a go and i read it or listened to the audiobook rather and it's pretty interesting stuff. I'm going to share a couple of excerpts or, or clips that are going to be a bit random, but just things that resonated with me and I found fascinating. But first, I'm going to share a couple of excerpts from the official synopsis of the book. So you get an idea of what it's about. Quote, Homo sapiens rules the world because it is the only animal that can believe in things that exist purely in its own imagination, such as gods, states, money, and human rights. Starting from this provocative idea, Sapiens goes on to tell the histories of our species from a completely fresh perspective. It explains that money is the most pluralistic system of mutual trust ever devised, that capitalism is the most successful religion ever invented. That the treatment of animals in modern agriculture is probably the worst crime in history. And that even though we are far more powerful than our ancestors, we aren't much happier. By combining profound insights with a remarkably vivid language, Sapiens acquired cult status among diverse audiences, captivating teenagers as well as university professors animal rights activists, alongside government ministers. By 2018, over 10 million copies have been sold, and the book has been translated into nearly 50 languages. How's that for book sales? That was actually directly from the Sapiens dedicated website, and this is a partial excerpt from the Amazon listing, both of which I will link to in the episode notes for your convenience. Quote, From renowned historian comes a groundbreaking narrative of humanity's creation and evolution, a number one international bestseller that explores the ways in which biology and history have defined us and enhanced our understanding of what it means to be human. 100,000 years ago, at least six different species of humans inhabited the earth. I bet you guys didn't know that. I definitely didn't. chalk that up to the public school system in new york city (laughs) yet today there's only one homo sapiens what happened to the others and what may happen to us the first thing i found fascinating was related to agriculture 
and how 90% of all the food that feeds humanity today in 2021 comes from a handful of foods that were cultivated thousands of years ago by our ancestors. Just a handful. I thought that was a stunning figure. Here's that clip. Even today, with all our advanced technologies, more than 90% of the calories that feed humanity come from the handful of plants that our ancestors domesticated between 9,500 and 3,500 BC. Wheat, rice, maize, called corn in the US, potatoes, millet, and barley. No noteworthy plant or animal has been domesticated in the last 2,000 years. If our minds are those of hunter-gatherers, our cuisine is that of ancient farmers. The next point I found really interesting was how the concept of levying taxes on the people that you rule over was introduced by civilizations thousands of years ago. But it was like a concept of, let's see if this works to sustain our civilization. It's a concept that's literally in place today, right? We all pay taxes, which help fund our military, our infrastructure. And this clip speaks to that in its nation stages. In 221 BC, the Qin dynasty united China, and shortly afterwards, Rome united the Mediterranean basin. Taxes levied on 40 million Qin subjects paid for a standing army of hundreds of thousands of soldiers and a complex bureaucracy that employed more than 100,000 officials. The Roman Empire at its zenith collected taxes from up to 100 million subjects. This revenue financed a standing army of 250,000 to 500,000 soldiers, a road network still in use 1,500 years later, and theaters and amphitheaters that host spectacles to this day. The next clip is from a section called There is No Justice in History, and it speaks to certain ideas like racism and sexism in how they're literally rooted in fiction. There are these made-up ideas that are self-serving to those that make them up, gain steam, are still around over time, and eventually are argued as truths when they really aren't. They are literally fiction. All the previously mentioned distinctions between free persons and slaves, between whites and blacks, between rich and poor, are rooted in fictions. The hierarchy of men and women will be discussed later. Yet it is an iron rule of history that every imagined hierarchy disavows its fictional origins and claims to be natural and inevitable. For instance, many people who have viewed the hierarchy of free persons and slaves as natural and correct have argued that slavery is not a human invention. Hammurabi saw it as ordained by the gods. Aristotle argued that slaves have a slavish nature, whereas free people have a free nature. Their status in society is merely a reflection of their innate nature. Ask white supremacists about the racial hierarchy, and you are in for a pseudo-scientific lecture concerning the biological differences between the races. You are likely to be told that there is something in Caucasian blood or genes that makes whites naturally more intelligent, moral, and hard-working. Ask a die-hard capitalist about the hierarchy of wealth, and you are likely to hear that it is the inevitable outcome of objective differences in abilities. The rich have more money in this view because they are more capable and diligent. No one should be bothered then if the wealthy get better health care, better education and better nutrition. The rich richly deserve every perk they enjoy. Hindus who adhere to the caste system believe that cosmic forces have made one caste superior to another. According to a famous Hindu creation myth, the gods fashioned the world out of the body of a primeval being, the Purusha. The sun was created from the Purusha's eye, the moon from the Purusha's brain, the Brahmins, priests, from its mouth, the Kshatriyas, warriors, from its arms, the Vaishyas, peasants and merchants, from its thighs, and the Shudras, servants, from its legs. Accept this explanation, and the socio-political differences between Brahmins and Shudras are as natural and eternal as the differences between the sun and the moon. The ancient Chinese believed that when the goddess Nu Wa created humans from Earth, 
she kneaded aristocrats from fine yellow soil, whereas commoners were formed from brown mud. Yet, to the best of our understanding, these hierarchies are all the product of human imagination. Brahmins and Shudras were not really created by the gods from different body parts of a primeval being. Instead, the distinction between the two castes was created by laws and norms invented by humans in northern India about 3,000 years ago. Contrary to Aristotle, there is no known biological difference between slaves and free people. Human laws and norms have turned some people into slaves and others into masters. Between blacks and whites, there are some objective biological differences, such as skin color and hair type, but there is no evidence that the differences extend to intelligence or morality. Most people claim that their social hierarchy is natural and just, while those of other societies are based on false and ridiculous criteria. Modern Westerners are taught to scoff at the idea of racial hierarchy. They are shocked by laws prohibiting blacks to live in white neighborhoods or to study in white schools or to be treated in white hospitals. But the hierarchy of rich and poor, which mandates that rich people live in separate and more luxurious neighborhoods, study in separate and more prestigious schools and receive medical treatment in separate and better equipped facilities, seems perfectly sensible to many Americans and Europeans. Yet it's a proven fact that most rich people are rich for the simple reason that they were born into a rich family, while most poor people will remain poor throughout their lives simply because they were born into a poor family. Unfortunately, complex human societies seem to require imagined hierarchies and unjust discrimination. The next clip is related to political ideologies. Another example is the modern political order. Ever since the French Revolution, people throughout the world have gradually come to see both equality and individual freedom as fundamental values. Yet the two values contradict each other. Equality can be ensured only by curtailing the freedoms of those who are better off. Guaranteeing that every individual will be free to do as he wishes inevitably shortchanges equality. The entire political history of the world since 1789 can be seen as a series of attempts to reconcile this contradiction. Anyone who has read a novel by Charles Dickens knows that the liberal regimes of 19th century Europe gave priority to individual freedom, even if it meant throwing insolvent poor families in prison and giving orphans little choice but to join schools for pickpockets. Anyone who has read a novel by Alexander Solzhenitsyn knows how communism's egalitarian ideal produced brutal tyrannies that tried to control every aspect of daily life. Contemporary American politics also revolve around this contradiction. Democrats want a more equitable society, even if it means raising taxes to fund programs to help the poor, elderly and infirm. But that infringes on the freedom of individuals to spend their money as they wish. Why should the government force me to buy health insurance if I prefer using the money to put my kids through college? Republicans, on the other hand, want to maximize individual freedom, even if it means that the income gap between rich and poor will grow wider and that many Americans will not be able to afford health care. Just as medieval culture did not manage to square chivalry with Christianity, so the modern world fails to square liberty with equality. Just a few more clips, folks, that I want to share with you guys. The next is actually an interesting economic take on what drove different ancient cultures to begin to mix. But all believed in gold and silver and in gold and silver coins. Without this shared belief, global trading networks would have been virtually impossible. The gold and silver that 16th century conquistadors found in America enabled European merchants to buy silk, porcelain, and spices in East Asia, thereby moving the wheels of economic growth in both Europe and East Asia. Most of the gold and silver mined in Mexico and the Andes slipped through European fingers to find a welcome home in the purses of Chinese silk and porcelain manufacturers. What would have happened to the global economy if the Chinese hadn't suffered from the same disease of the heart that afflicted Cortez and his companions and had refused to accept payment in gold and silver. 
Yet why should Chinese, Indians, Muslims and Spaniards, who belong to very different cultures that fail to agree about much of anything, nevertheless share the belief in gold? Why didn't it happen that Spaniards believed in gold while Muslims believed in barley, Indians in cowrie shells and Chinese in rolls of silk? Economists have a ready answer. Once trade connects two areas, the forces of supply and demand tend to equalize the prices of transportable goods. In order to understand why, consider a hypothetical case. Assume that when regular trade opened between India and the Mediterranean, Indians were uninterested in gold, so it was almost worthless. But in the Mediterranean, gold was a coveted status symbol, hence its value was high. What would happen next? Merchants traveling between India and the Mediterranean would notice the difference in the value of gold. In order to make a profit, they would buy gold cheaply in India and sell it dearly in the Mediterranean. Consequently, the demand for gold in India would skyrocket, as would its value. At the same time, the Mediterranean would experience an influx of gold, whose value would consequently drop. Within a short time, the value of gold in India and the Mediterranean would be quite similar. The mere fact that Mediterranean people believed in gold would cause Indians to start believing in it as well. Even if Indians still had no real use for gold, the fact that Mediterranean people wanted it would be enough to make the Indians value it. Similarly, the fact that another person believes in cowrie shells or dollars or electronic data is enough to strengthen our own belief in them, even if that person is otherwise hated, despised or ridiculed by us. Christians and Muslims who could not agree on religious beliefs could nevertheless agree on a monetary belief, because whereas religion asks us to believe in something, money asks us to believe that other people believe in something. That's some interesting food for thought shit right there. At least it was for me. This clip is a really interesting take on religions and how at one point in time can be seen as something that's not even given a second thought. But then that seed can grow into something that is ubiquitous and just like commonplace. It is particularly important to stress that possibilities which seem very unlikely to contemporaries often get realized. When Constantine assumed the throne in 306, Christianity was little more than an esoteric Eastern sect. If you were to suggest then that it was about to become the Roman state religion, you'd have been laughed out of the room just as you would be today if you were to suggest that by the year 2050, Hare Krishna would be the state religion of the USA. In October 1913, the Bolsheviks were a small radical Russian faction. No reasonable person would have predicted that within a mere four years, they would take over the country. In AD 600, the notion that a band of desert-dwelling Arabs would soon conquer an expanse stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to India was even more preposterous. Indeed, had the Byzantine army been able to repel the initial onslaught, Islam would probably have remained an obscure cult of which only a handful of cognoscenti were aware. Scholars would then have a very easy job explaining why a faith based on a revelation to a middle-aged Meccan merchant could never have caught on. Imagine that. This was such an interesting thing that I didn't know that is such like a sliding door scenario of how Charles Darwin, who put forth the theory of evolution, even got, like physically got, to the Galapagos Islands, which is where he came up with the theory. As time went by, the conquest of knowledge and the conquest of territory became ever more tightly intertwined. In the 18th and 19th centuries, almost every important military expedition that left Europe for distant lands had on board scientists who set out not to fight, but to make scientific discoveries. When Napoleon invaded Egypt in 1798, he took 165 scholars with him. Among other things, they founded an entirely new discipline, Egyptology, and made important contributions to the study of religion, linguistics, and botany. In 1831, the Royal Navy sent the ship HMS Beagle to map the coasts of South America, the Falkland Islands, and the Galapagos Islands. The Navy needed this knowledge in order to tighten Britain's imperial grip over South America. 
the ship's captain, who was an amateur scientist, decided to add a geologist to the expedition to study geological formations they might encounter on the way. After several professional geologists refused his invitation, the captain offered the job to a 22-year-old Cambridge graduate, Charles Darwin. Darwin had studied to become an Anglican parson, but was far more interested in geology and natural sciences than in the Bible. He jumped at the opportunity, and the rest is history. How sick is that? Imagine if any one of those other geologists that were offered the opportunity said, yeah, I'll do that. That would have literally changed scientific history as we know it. And an ironic takeaway was Charles Darwin studying the Bible and stuff prior to having this opportunity. This next clip, and I only have like one or two more, I promise, is an interesting takeaway on the evolution of why jobs now have certain timetables, like the corporate nine to five life or why shifts exist in supermarkets or restaurants, etc. And it kind of evolved from this. In contrast to medieval peasants and shoemakers, modern industry cares little about the sun or the season. It sanctifies precision and uniformity. For example, in a medieval workshop, each shoemaker made an entire shoe from sole to buckle. If one shoemaker was late for work, it did not stall the others. However, in a modern footwear factory assembly line, every worker mans a machine that produces just a small part of a shoe, which is then passed on to the next machine. If the worker who operates machine number five has overslept, it stalls all the other machines. In order to prevent such calamities, everybody must adhere to a precise timetable. Each worker arrives at work at exactly the same time. Everybody takes their lunch break together, whether they are hungry or not. Everybody goes home when a whistle announces that the shift is over, not when they have finished their project. The Industrial Revolution turned the timetable and the assembly line into a template for almost all human activities. Shortly after factories imposed their timeframes on human behavior, schools too adopted precise timetables, followed by hospitals, government offices, and grocery stores. Even in places devoid of assembly lines and machines, the timetable became king. If the shift at the factory ends at 5 p.m., the local pub had better be open for business by 5.02. A crucial link in the spreading timetable system was public transportation. If workers needed to start their shift by 0800, the train or bus had to reach the factory gate by 0755. A few minutes' delay would lower production and perhaps even lead to the layoffs of the unfortunate latecomers. So interesting how ideas spread and have this like ripple effect impact on completely unrelated industries and people and facets of life. And two final things that I'll share. One is a quote that I thought was pretty dope, which those of you that sign up to the Sponsoray newsletter that I referenced earlier, sponsoray.com forward slash subscribe, I'll likely feature this quote as the quote of the week. And it's from Nietzsche, which is, quote, if you have a why to live, you can bear almost any how. I like that. And the last and final clip that I'll share with you folks from Yuval Harari's Sapiens, in this evolution of the human species is this sick DARPA development or project rather of them trying to create cyborgs out of insects. And DARPA, for those of you that don't know, is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is an agency of the United States Department of Defense and is responsible for the development of emerging technologies for use by the military. I actually featured a video of these robots developed by Boston Dynamics, which is a company that I believe DARPA owns, I believe, um, but it's a robotics company that develops these like sick robots. That if anybody has seen Black Mirror, that episode of, which is a dope futuristic sci-fi show on Netflix, you guys should check out if you haven't already. And obviously if you're into that kind of stuff. And there's this episode of a robot that just tracks people down. You know, people that owe money and, you know, imagine 
being late on bills and instead of having a creditor call you it's a fucking robot that chases you down and like either ties you up or literally kills you like executes you so imagine like robots like that this company boston dynamics literally creates shit like that and there's robots that do insane things and like move so human-like and do flips and acrobatics and cartwheels and it's scary shit it's like terminator meets robocop type shit but they're real anyway i thought this clip was super interesting and within that vein the defense advanced research projects agency darpa a u.s military research agency is developing cyborgs out of insects the idea is to implant electronic chips detectors and processors in the body of a fly or cockroach which will enable either a human or an automatic operator to control the insect's movements remotely and to absorb and transmit information. Such a fly could be sitting on the wall at enemy headquarters, eavesdrop on the most secret conversations, and, if it isn't caught first by a spider, could inform us exactly what the enemy is planning. In 2006, the U.S. Naval Undersea Warfare Center reported its intention to develop cyborg sharks, declaring... NUWC is developing a fish tag whose goal is behavior control of host animals via neural implants. The developers hoped to identify underwater electromagnetic fields made by submarines and mines by exploiting the natural magnetic detecting capabilities of sharks, which are superior to those of any man-made detectors. That one there just blew my mind. (laughs) Anyway, folks, that's a boatload of clips that I shared with you all from Yuval Noah Harari's book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. I recommend it and will link to it in the episode notes. Check it out. And last but not least, I want to share a free writing piece of mine that I will directly link to in the episode notes, but that you all can navigate to by going to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. There you'll find all my free writing pieces, including this one, which was posted onto my site on February 3rd, 2021. And the title is This Fleeting Life That We Live. It'll absorb and dilute you out of existence. This free writing piece is based on a quote that I heard during John Lewis's memorial. And the quote is, quote, do as much as you can, as often as you can for as long as you can, end quote. And to that, I wrote this. I don't remember who said this during John Lewis's memorial, or if they were quoting him or attributing this statement to his legacy. But it is fitting, isn't it? A lifelong activist and champion of moral causes. He found his purpose early on in life. What a blessing. When you find yours, make sure you know it. Honor it. Don't take it for granted because this fleeting life that we live, it'll absorb and dilute you out of existence while you are under the impression that you have all of the time in the world. Don't let the quote as you can turn into quote when you want. And I wrote that on Saturday, August 22nd, 2020 at 12.02 a.m. And rest in peace, John Lewis, by the way. For those of you that don't know, John Lewis was a lifelong activist from a young age. He walked the bridge at Selma alongside Martin Luther King. He was beaten several times by authorities into the hospital. He was a community organizer and a congressman for many, many years, where he continued championing moral causes through legislation. And I truly do believe, like it says in this piece, that it is a blessing to find what your purpose is, especially early on in life, to just be passionate about something, have something driving you. There's a lot of people, especially young people, myself included when I was younger, just like aimlessly going through life, like waiting for life to happen while it's already happening, or just like going through the motions, don't really have something to, you know, quote unquote, live for or that drives them. And I truly think it is a blessing once you find that thing, which is why I say that piece of when you find yours, your blessing, your thing, your purpose, make sure you know it too. 
because if you don't open your eyes and realize, damn, this thing that um kind of sort of good at that I don't really pay attention to because I take it for granted, that's my thing. I should double down on that and really cherish and, and nurture it. From this piece, I also like the line from it that I made the title, obviously, which is this fleeting life that we live, it'll absorb and dilute you out of existence because it's fucking true, man. Life is short. We had that idea, that sentiment amplified even more this past year in 2020 with the pandemic and losing loved ones and not just with the pandemic, but just in general in life, right? People lose people every day to cancer, heart disease, accidents, violence. And lastly, where I say at the end, don't let the quote as you can turn into quote when you want. I'm referring to the as you can from the first piece of the quote, which is do as much as you can. Don't let that become do it when you want. Because as my writing stats from the past few months show, I didn't want to or want to enough fairly often. And when you do that, you kind of fall into a rut and wind up not doing shit. And before you know it, life passes you by. And that's a nice full circle, folks. I think I'll end it there. Thank you for listening, checking out episode 173 of the Spun Today podcast. I really appreciate it. I hope you do subscribe to my newsletter at spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe so we can stay in touch. Again, if you want a free copy of one of my books, you can get that at spuntoday.com forward slash books. And hope you stick around to listen to a few different ways you can help support this show if you so choose. Peace. Hey folks, Tony here. If you're enjoying the show, do me a favor. Rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to help out the show in other ways, I'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts to do so. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash support. That's where you'll find a ton of different ways to help support this show, such as shopping on Amazon. If you do any shopping on Amazon, like most of the world, I ask that you do so by clicking on any of the Amazon banners on my website. This will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Speaking of Amazon, they fulfill a bunch of the merch that I have available. If you go to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you're going to find a brand new merch section where you'll find the iconic podcasts versus anybody super soft premium cotton t-shirt you'll also find the legendary spun today podcast tee which is in the style of the new york city plastic thank you bags logo for my fellow dominicans out there i have a dope dominican escudo t-shirt you know where the lacoste or polo shirts have their little logo picture that but instead a dominican escudo all available now in a variety of different colors for men and women in all sizes. In the Spun Today merch section, which again is at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find a bunch of other t-shirt designs, long sleeve t-shirts, short sleeve t-shirts, color changing coffee mugs, and much, much more. Check out all the merch at spuntoday.com forward slash support. All of my short stories can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. The free writing pieces that I read, share, and review during the free writing session episodes of this show can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. There you can read all the pieces that made the podcast as well as tons and tons of others. My books are available in any digital format of your choice, whether it's Kindle, Apple's iBooks, Kobo, you name it. They're also available in paperback. You can check them out at spuntoday.com forward slash books. My debut novel, Fractal, is a sci-fi time travel story of a group of righteous travelers that attempt to right the wrongs of the injustices of the past. My nonfiction, Make Way For You, is a collection of tips for getting out of your own way. So if you need some motivation, inspiration, and a good old-fashioned kick in the ass, that'll be the read for you. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books or search for those titles on Amazon. 
Another great and free way that you can help support this show is by subscribing to my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. You'll get a photo, podcast, video, quote, and word of the week every single Monday at noon. What else do you have to look forward to on a Monday? Plus, you'll be the first to know whenever I publish a new book. And if for whatever reason you choose to, you can unsubscribe at any time. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon, Ko-fi, and PayPal donation pages. Patreon and Ko-fi allow you to make recurring donations per episode, and you even get some bonus content for doing so. PayPal allows you to make a one-time donation to the show. For my fellow writers and creatives out there, a really cool way for you to be featured on this show is to respond to my five-question Spun Today questionnaire. I'll read your responses on a future episode of the show and share them with the Spun Today community. Think about it. If your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? To do so, go to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at spuntoday on both those platforms. Check out and like the Spun Today Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spuntoday. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the Spun Today YouTube page. Just search for Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on my website. There, you'll not only get the full versions of this podcast, but you'll also get bonus content like shortened episode clips and much, much more. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.